Tonight, the subject is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just while the children are making their way out to the crash, is my good wife any tissues there? Because I am. Um, coming to my rescue as usual. My beautiful wife. <laughs> those two okay turn with me to the scriptures please the book of acts acts chapter one and we're going to look tonight the lord willing and the lord helping me at the second coming of christ how will he come or how will he return how will he come or how will he return the book of acts chapter one Beginning to read at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For, truly, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom again? Well, at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel, pardon me. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall, show, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his word, but I do ask you to keep it open there, for we are going to refer to the chapter. Let's just pray. Father, take your own word now and scribe it on every heart. And I ask you, Father, that you would speak to us this evening. Show us the truth of thy word. Lord, hide what I would say, anything from myself, and let not an ear hear it, but rather hear your voice and your word only. And I pray, O oh God, that maybe even one in here tonight doesn't know your Son as Lord and Savior, have not yet come to saving faith, that they will realize the urgency of the hour, the need of the day. And, O oh God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Father, we believe you're sending your son soon. 
We don't know when, but we know it's soon. And we pray, Lord, that you'd have many ready to meet the Lord at his coming. So, Father, we ask you, shut us in with yourself. Let your spirit just settle in our hearts now. Let your anointing settle us in your presence. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. It is probably not an understatement when I say that in many areas of eschatology, eschatology is really just to do with the second coming of Christ, the end time second coming. And it's very rarely spoken of, and when it is, it's debated about. But what I'm going to bring you tonight is going to be maybe a little different from what you heard usually, but you're going to see another aspect of the second coming. And what I want you to do is say, Lord, show me this, and let the Lord do the speaking. The fact of it is, in the light of the Lord Jesus and his second coming, which we don't know the day, nor do we know the hour, but we know by the signs of the times that the kingdom of God is at hand, it's even at the doors. And we know with things that has happened around the world that the Lord Jesus' return is soon. And so when we talk about this, in the light of it, our nation, people in our nation are carrying on their lives as though there is no God, as if there was no Savior, as if there were no sacrifice, as if there were no judgment after death or at the coming of Christ when he returns. They live as if God doesn't exist, and so they, they become God of their own lives, and they live their way. It's my life, my way. I do what I want. But God says that he is returning. And he says he's sending his son. And he says only those who are saved by his grace will enter his kingdom. So tonight when we look at this, our nation is in a dire state. It's a terrible state. When we look at this, we can see that our nation is dead. Full of dead men and dead women walking who need regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who need called by the Holy Ghost to the cross of Christ to see him as their sin bearer. And our nation is full of not only dead men and women, but a sleeping church in many occasions, in many places. The church has become complacent. The church in many areas has become lethargic and lackadaisical and even lazy. The church has become apostate in areas and it even has become unbelieving in many things. Do you really believe that Christ ascended into glory? Yes, I do. Do you really believe that he is coming back again to this earth? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And he's coming back this time, not as a lamb to be slain on a cross, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The scriptures tell us when he comes, he's coming to rule the nations with a rod of iron. With a rod of iron. He isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's coming to rule with a rod of iron. Isaiah 60 and verse 1 is a good verse to shout over us. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And yet the nation is dead. And yet the nation is getting worse. And yet the nation has walked away from God. Families have now stopped their children going to Sunday schools and children's meetings because it's just not the done thing. And 
God is no longer anywhere in their priority. And so he is way down the list or he's not there at all. Even churches have stopped doing children's meetings because of it. Our light has shone 2,000 years ago when Christ came. Our light shone when he came and he hung and bled and died on the cross of Calvary. The light of the world came and he gave his life for you and he gave his life for me. And the blood that he shed was the payment for your sin and mine. We don't do anything but receive by faith that which he has done. In Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. And friends, tonight, it doesn't matter how little your intelligence is. The gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for your sin, that he bore it away in his own body on the tree, and if you believe in him, that his sacrifice was more than enough to pay for all of your debt. I'll wait there to clean up my life. You don't wait there to clean up your life. You come to Christ and he cleans you up. I'll wait until I get better. You'll never get good enough. None of us can. We should be crying across the United Kingdom. We should be crying across these islands that we live in. The words of Isaiah 2 and verse 5. Oh, house of Jacob, come ye. And let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Every time I walk through a village or a town, whether it's here at Guilford or whether it's my home village or whether it's Belfast where I'm originally from, I hear the sound of footsteps walking their life every day on their own way going to a lake of fire. What a sound to have in your ears. What a sound to have in your ears. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, Luke wrote the, the Acts of the Apostles, and he also wrote the book of Luke, Luke's Gospel. And so when he said the former treatise that I have made, he's speaking off the Gospel of Luke. And he said, I've already written, O Theophilus, I've written a gospel about this man who came, this man who died, this man who was God manifest in the flesh, this man who bore our sin away in his own body on the tree, this man who shed his blood, who died and went to the grave and rose again the third day for our justification and has ascended into glory. Let me tell you the story about it, he says. And so he presents the only one that we can present, he presents Christ. Friend, I'm telling you now, I don't present this church. I don't present this preacher. I don't present anything or anyone else. But we present Christ and Christ alone. He is the only one. No church saves. No denomination saves but Christ and Christ alone. The book of Acts has been called by many in theological circles and has been regarded and esteemed to be amongst the brightest jewels that shine in the Word of God. It's living with the Holy Spirit. 
It's alive and it points everyone to Christ. And you see, that's the Holy Spirit's chief office, is to point everyone to the person of Christ. And so let the Holy Spirit tonight point you to the person of Christ, not only at the cross, but his coming again and how he will come. Luke says, the former treatise that I've made, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, actually the Syriac version says, of all that Jesus our Messiah, in other words, Jesus our Christ, our anointed one, began both to do and to teach. What did he do? What did he teach? He healed the sick. He cast out the devils. The deaf would hear, the dumb would speak, the blind would see, the dead would be raised to life again. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He'd done so many miracles. John tells us that even if they were written in all the books, the Word couldn't hold the volumes of the books. And so Luke starts to say that these men started to think about this Christ, started to think this about this man of Calvary, the man of Galilee, started to think about him, and what exactly did he do? He'd done all these wonders and all these miracles, but then he taught that you must be born again. Jesus said that. He says, you must be born again to see or to enter the kingdom of heaven. And John 3 and 7, he says, marvel not or do not be surprised that I say unto thee, you must be born again. He didn't say you might have to be born again or I think you should be born again. He didn't say it's up to you if you're born again because you can't make yourself born again. He says you must be born again. You must. You must. Are you born again? Are you born again? He also taught principles and the ethics of the kingdom. Sermon on the Mount, all the blessings, the ethics of the working of the kingdom. And then he taught that he would die, but that he would rise again. Now, if Christ had just left it there, if he hadn't have went any further, then you and I couldn't pursue it any further, for that's all he says. But he went further, and he said he's coming again. He taught that he was going to return from heaven. Now, there's not many churches, as I said, there's not many places who even speak about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't teach it, or they don't even think about it. In fact, some think you die, and you float around in some nether, nether world of spiritual realm, or I don't know what they think. But Christ is returning again. And Christ is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And Christ is going to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. Notice this also. The Lord Jesus taught the second coming and his return to earth. And he taught them through parables. For example, in Mark chapter 13. In Mark chapter 13, verses 34 to 37. Listen to what he says, speaking of himself. Mark 13, 34, reading onward. For the Son of Man, that's himself, for the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, notice, and gave authority to his servants, 
to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. He says, watch. Jesus says, there are going to be those who are sleeping when I return. Yes, there are going to be those who are spiritually dead toward him, but there's going to be those who are sleeping. Sleep me in slumber. And Jesus says, watch, for you don't know when I'm coming. I could come at any time. Morning, noon, night, I'm coming. And the message here is that the Lord Jesus will return for a people who are prepared, a people who are watching, a people in a state of readiness. He's coming for a people who are serving him, for a people who have this God-given authority. He says, he gave authority to his servants. Christian, do you know that God's given you authority? Every single believer, do you know that God has given you authority? Do you know what that authority is? That authority is the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. You're a son, you're a daughter of a king, of Almighty God. And He's given us kingdom authority that we can preach the Word with clarity, with conviction, and with boldness. Now listen. Who are those with this authority for His coming? John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us, But as many as received Him, that is the Lord Jesus, to them give He power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name, to them that believe in him, they have power. Now, John's taking this from the book of Hosea, who preached to the northern house of Israel. And he says that when the gospel comes, there's going to be those who are saved by sovereign grace. And they're going to be spiritually born again and given authority of the word of God, and the Holy Ghost will be in them. And the word of, for, for power here, to them give he power. It's the word exousia, and it means he gives them the privilege, he gives them the right, he gives them the license, he gives them the authority to become the sons of God. Because they were sons, he says, I ain't going to make them spiritual. So you see, the Lord tells us that those who are in Christ at his return will be that overcoming body of believers who will meet him at his return. The kingdom of God is coming in its fullness and in its entirety when Jesus returns. Listen to what it says to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul writes, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also, after that you believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Christian, listen, see if you're a real true believer in Christ. See if you're truly born, of, born again, born of God. See if you're really blood-washed and blood-bought. If you're a real true Christian, do you realize that you're sealed with the Holy Ghost? That's like sealing a letter and it can't be opened until its destination. Here the idea is, not only are you sealed, it's where we get the word confirmed. 
I wonder how many people are confirmed by their church, are confirmed by sprinkling of water, confirmed in their confirmation, and whether it's Roman church or whether it's in Protestant denomination, I wonder how many have been confirmed into this, that, or the other thing. And they say, well, there you are. You're confirmed. We have sprinkled water off you, over you. We've wet your head as a baby. Now you're okay, and you're going to heaven. Friend, that is a lie. That is a lie, friend. The only one who can confirm you into the body of Christ, and the only one who can confirm you till kingdom come, that you may enter God's glory, is the Holy Ghost. Born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what astounding is mine. Only through the Holy Spirit. The word confirmed here is sealed. The Holy Ghost, the day that he saved me, sealed me. I'm not perfect, far from it, but I'm still sealed. And he says, you're mine. Friend, you're his. Have you an assurance that you'll be in his heaven when he returns? Have you an assurance that you'll be in God's glory when he returns? Have you an assurance in your heart that you belong to him? Have you got assurance that you're saved? Oh, that you're saved by grace. Are you sure? I don't really know whether maybe you're not. When I got saved, I knew that I was saved. I'm saved by grace and I'm sealed with the Holy Ghost, confirmed into the body of Christ by him. Only those who can see as in being born again will enter then. So those who have the kingdom power within them will find that they will rule and reign with Christ when he returns. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 2. It says that Jesus through the Holy Ghost had given commandments. And this is what brothers and sisters what's called the faith once delivered unto the saints. The faith now is being watered down. Jesus says, when he returns, will he find faith in the earth? Of course he'll find faith in the earth. He'll find all sorts of faith in the earth. He'll find all different faith in the earth. Faith in different things in the earth. Men with faith in everything but him in the earth. But what he means is, will I find the faith once delivered unto the saints? The faith I'm giving you. Will I find it in you? You know, when Christ returns, sets up his kingdom, someone asks you, what is a kingdom? You say, well, the definition of a kingdom is really just simply a country headed up by a king. But he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Revelation chapter 19 tells us, it's written on him, the thigh king of kings, lord of lords. He's going to come and rule the whole earth. The whole universe will be under his command. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is usually read at sort of Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David. The throne of David isn't in heaven. The throne of David is in the earth. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. Then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice, upon the throne of David, the angel says that Christ will return, ruling from the throne of David over the house of Jacob and over the whole world. Yes, he will sit on a real throne and he will return again. Listen to what they cry in Revelation chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign. Where? Where does it say? Shut it out. On the earth. I'll fly away, O glory. That's a nice tune. I like the song, but it's not true. We shall reign on the earth, he says. So here we're told we are made kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. The great creator became our Savior. And now he lives and he rules in our hearts. He's coming as the, the rule of the universe, as I said, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to Revelation 11 and verse 15. The kingdoms of this world, this world, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ or of his anointed. And he shall reign forever. Wow. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, look what it says. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let me give you a couple of a few points in this. First of all, he showed himself alive. Here we have the unmistakable Christ. He showed himself. Handle me and see, for a spirit of not flesh and bone as you see me have, said the risen Christ. Showed himself the above 500 brethren over 40 days. This was no swooning fit on the cross. He didn't faint and they took him down and mummied him until he got to a tomb. And when no one was looking, they stole him. It says he died. He died. He entered into death. He's done it for you. He's done it for you. He's done it for me. The unmistakable Christ was risen on the third day. He showed himself alive. After his passion, secondly, behalf. The immeasurable love of Christ after his passion. 
Imagine the God who created the universe becoming flesh and hanging on a cross to die for a, a wretch like me. The immeasurable love of Christ he had for his own. And having loved his own, we're told, he loved them unto the end. Every breath of Christ was a breath of love for you. Every breath he took, he thought of you. Every beat of his heart, it was beating for you. Oh, don't tell me about Jesus. We don't want to know. His heart was beating until it stopped. He gave up the ghost. He laid his head on a pulseless breast when he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The immeasurable love of Christ. After his passion, he says, by many infallible proofs. <laughs> I've already mentioned that here's the infallible Christ. There's no mistaking this. Jesus is alive. Up from the grave he arose. <laughs> With a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from a dark domain. And he lives forever with the saints to reign. Hallelujah. Oh yes. By many infallible proofs. Being seen of them forty days. Speaking of the things. Imagine the tones of his voice. Can you imagine the, the sound that he made? Oh, just to hear the very echo throughout my spirit as he spoke whenever he talked, to hear him at nighttime as he whispered around the fires, as he walked the shores of Galilee, to hear the voice of the wonderful Christ of God. And he spoke. He spoke the words. I wonder what he sounded like. Here we have the unadulterated words of Christ. You see, you can trust him. You can believe him. You can hope in him. You can lay your eternal security in him. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, ah, he started talking about the kingdom. He gave parables about two houses in Israel. He gave parables about the saved and the lost. He gave parables about wheat and tares. All kingdom parables. And he started giving them, and he started giving a parable about him dying, being buried and rising again. And then he says, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Yes, friend, the unshakable eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. So briefly, quickly, let's look at this. How will he come? How will he come? You see, first of all, we have to look at he will come personally and he will come bodily. Personally and bodily. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read from there. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. 
So now, can you imagine if you and I were a film crew and we were at the Mount of Olives and we were looking there and we were filming him going up and these men saying, as you see him come up, he's going to come back again. That's how he's going to come. So let's look at it. He went up bodily. He went up personally. He's coming back again bodily. He's coming back again personally. For example, it says in the parable that we read, Mark 13 and 34, he says, the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. That's him speaking of him going into heaven. The Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey. I'm going to go up, but I'm coming back again, but you don't know when. Be ready. He's going up a bodily. We're told he shall so come in like manner. Listen to Luke chapter 24 and verse 39. When he, the risen Christ, goes into that room and the disciples have the doors closed for fear of the Jews, suddenly Jesus appears there and Luke 24 and verse 39, he says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. (laughs) Personal. Now hold me, it's bodily. You get that? He says, it's I, it's me. Can you imagine in the room? Now, Jesus has died three days and the tomb is empty. They're now in the room and they're afraid with the doors closed and they're afraid to answer it in case the Jews come to kill them. Suddenly Christ stands there, whether he walked through the door or whether he walked through the wall, I don't know how it happened, but he came and he appeared in the midst of them and they're suddenly going, it must be a ghost. Handle me and see. He says, look, it's me. It is I, myself. It's me. It's not a spirit. Bodily, he said. It is I, myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit of not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Imagine. Boys, do you know what it tells me? Christ is such of a truth that he can be tested. He showed me his hands that were marred by my sinning. He showed me his feet that were nailed to the tree. I then saw his brow and his side deeply wounded again. And now I love Jesus. Jesus loved me. It's me. Maybe Christ is speaking to someone tonight and saying, it's me. It's me. I'm not on a statue. I'm not in a denomination. I'm not a figure in a painting. I'm not just a story. He says, look, it's me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, Luke was a doctor. And Luke would have been very meticulous to note these things down. 
he would have said, I need to know more about the wounds. What, what, what did they look like? What depth were they? He's a doctor. He wants to know. So when he writes this, he's saying, I've already wrote a, a treatise of Theophilus. I've written a book about this. It's the Luke's gospel, as we call it. He says, now I've searched these things. Christ is coming back again personally, and he's coming back again bodily. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, he showed himself alive. Notice, he showed himself alive. I want to say it again. Jesus, he showed himself. So when he comes back like this, he's going to show himself. He is going to come back personally and bodily. In Zechariah 13 and verse 6, way before the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it says, the prophet writes, and one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now this is written 500 years or so before he's even born in Bethlehem. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he will answer and say, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. He says, Hold on me and see that it is I myself. I told the prophets, I told the prophets that I was coming. I told the prophets, to write it down that you would know it. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. 720 years or so before he was even born, the prophet sees him through the spirit of prophecy. Isaiah 53 and verse 5, he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. His stripes we are healed. Then he goes on to say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We, you and I, every one of us. He was speaking to Israel here, but he's speaking to every one of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh hath laid on him the Son of God. Yahweh has laid on his son the iniquity of us all. Seven hundred twenty or so years before it happened. And Jesus comes. The psalmist David writes Psalm 22. And he says, The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet a thousand years before it. Through the spirit of prophecy, they pierced my hands and my feet. There was crucifixion then, but it was unheard to have the feet pierced then. 
pierce my hands and my feet. How will he come? He will come bodily. Do you know we will be made perfect here in Christ? New bodies. We will be made perfect, be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death, be no more pain, there'll be no more sickness. Do you know that when Christ, those who are in Christ, be no more of it, no more lossing of our loved ones. But I'll tell you this, there's going to be scars in heaven. Do you know where they are? They're on the hands and the feet of the Savior. Forever we will remember that he was wounded for us. Secondly, quickly, he's coming visibly. Visibly. Now, in a day and age when we're told by many that he's coming secretly and noble will know it, I beg to differ. Let the word speak for itself. Acts chapter 1 and verse 9 says, And while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly, they were watching all the time. They saw it while they looked steadfastly towards heaven. As he went up, behold, two men said. Then what did they say? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you see him go into heaven. They beheld as he was taken up. They looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. These men had visible contact with Christ until the cloud received him out of their sight. Now listen. Listen to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. He's taken up and the cloud receives him out of their sight. Now, Revelation, speaking of him coming, says, Behold, you know the word behold, it gives the idea of shock, awe, wonder, and amazement. For example, walking into Jerusalem, Jesus curses the fig tree, which represented jury. And the next day going through, Peter realizes this big tree, which Jesus went to find fruit on and found none. He says, that's like the Jews of the day. He says, they're, they're, going, to, they're going to reject me. They don't, they don't want me as their Messiah and as their Christ. He curses the fig tree. The fig tree withers and dies. Peter sees this great tree's withered and died, and he goes, behold, master. That's where he goes. Behold the fig tree, look. He can't believe his eyes. Can't believe his eyes. Pilate brings Christ when he is being tried before the mob at Jerusalem. He brings him out and he's bloodied and he's beaten. He's been beat up inside the palace and he's covered in blood. And he's been manhandled. And he's been hit with rods and hands and reeds and he's had his beard pulled. Now bring the Christ out. He stands before the crowd and he says, Behold the man! That's where it reads. Now look at him! Has he not had enough? I find no fault in him. Shock, awe, wonder. He's going, Do you still want to crucify him? Look at him! I find no fault in him at all. They still cried, Crucify him. Paid for blood and want and more. You see, friend, the shock and awe of this is the same. Revelation 1 and 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. That's the Bible. Churches preach that. Very, very few. That's the Bible. 
This isn't, let's just be good and die and lovey-dovey, Peter opens the gates of heaven and he tells you a joke. This is reality. This is eternity for where you'll be or where you won't be. This is a very definite, literal manner in which he will come. He'll come visibly. For example, Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. And it says, and at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. The five that were foolish, they had no oil in their, their vessels and lamps. And went out and they weren't ready for him coming. And they had to run and get some. But by the time they went to get some, the five wives went into the bridal chamber with him. And the doors were shut. And when they came up, they were going, open to us, open to us, Lord. And he says, depart, I don't know you. Christ returns, there's going to be a great upheaval. He will come bodily or personally. Secondly, he will come visibly. And also he will come with power, thirdly, with power and great glory. He's coming with power and great glory. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 28. Now Christ is the speaker here himself. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts filling them for fear, for looking upon those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then they shall see. Notice, they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now notice this, brothers, sisters. Listen, friends. One of the signs, there'll be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity. See the word there for perplexity? It's the word aporia or aporia. Do you know what it means? The nations get themselves into a cul-de-sac and there's no way out. Now you tell me when you look at the Middle East and you tell me when you see the, the, the peace treaties that are being made and broken. You tell me when you look at what's happening around the world. You tell me as the, as the government's been able to sort it out. It gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. That's what you call the aporia. That's in a state of a quandary. It means there's no way out. They cannot fix it. Because that's one of the signs when it gets to a certain point I'm coming. I wish he would come right now. Notice this. They shall see the Son of Man in verse 27, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Revelation 14 and verse 14 says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown. And a sharp sickle. You know what the sickle's for? What do you use a sickle for? To cut down the harvest. To reap a harvest. And he's coming to reap. He's coming to take his harvest, his children. He's coming to take the tear. 
and they're wrapped up and burned in the fire. Listen to what the Lord says in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 27, the Lord Jesus says again, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus isn't saying anything secret about this. He's coming. You're going to see it. And let me show you something else that's even greater. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you. I want you to listen to the language of it when Paul is speaking this. First Thessalonians in chapter 4. Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or those who have died in Christ. Christians who have died in Christ. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He doesn't say Christians don't sorrow when they lose a loved one. Of course we sorrow. He means we have a hope that we're going to see them again, because they're saved and I'm saved, or you're saved. Notice what he says, verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep or died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Or we're not going to see Jesus before those who have died. For the Lord himself, he's coming personally, he's coming bodily, he's coming visibly. And he's coming with power and glory. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That means with a war cry. With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Are you reading that? When Jesus comes, he will shout. The archangel will shout his voice. There'll be the trump of God. Surrounding the heavens as the lightning goes from the east to the west. And the dead who have died in Christ, the graves will open and the dead will come out of the graves first. Now think about that. What's secret about it? Nothing. Nothing. The dead in Christ shall rise first. My mom and my dad and my sisters and your loved ones they're going to be raised out of, the, out of the ground first. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. How will he come? He's coming in power and great glory. He's coming in power and great glory. I'm closing. Thank you for your attention. Where's he coming to? Well, he left Mount of Olives at Jerusalem. I believe he's coming back again to the Mount of Olives at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 and verse 12 says the disciples returned from Jerusalem to Jerusalem, unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Listen to Zechariah the prophet again. Chapter 14 and verse 4. 
says of coming Christ, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Do you know, at one point even the Muslims blocked up the eastern gate because they knew Christ was coming, trying to stop them. Imagine the king of glory, they're blocking up a wall. My goodness. The whole skies are going to roll back like a skull, and they're putting bricks on the wall. Ludicrous. The power of us, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to walk in the eastern gate. He's going to rule and he's going to reign from the throne of David over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And we are made kings and priests unto our God and we will reign with him. Where? It says on the earth. On the earth. The feet that were nailed to the tree are the same feet that walked Galilee, the same feet that walked Jerusalem, down the Via Dolorosa, the sorrowful way, carrying his cross. The same feet that drip blood for me and you. Same feet that are nail scarred. The only scars that will be in glory are the scars in the Son of God. Imagine, everyone's made perfect, and he retains. He retains his scars. You see, the sacrifice of Christ isn't to be repeated. And it's not in a mass. And it's not in anything else. It's not in the breaking of bread. Even this is a remembrance we do. It's not uh, transubstantiation. It's not in anything like that. His sacrifice in Calvary's tree. It's not even in a Jewish temple. Sacrifice in Calvary's tree was one time once and for all, sacrifice for sin forever. Forever. And it's only there one can find redemption and salvation. Are you saved? Are you ready? Should he come? When he come? Or should you die? Are you saved?